Good morning. Good morning, church. How are you doing today? Welcome to the 1030 service here at Luminous Church. It's so good to worship with you this morning. My name is William Galloway, and I have the honor to preach today. As Pastor Ben is preaching at our Every Nation Church in Midland at Miss City. So pray for the Chapmans as they come back from Midland uh, this upcoming week. Next week, you want to be here as we start the Light the World campaign. How many of you are excited about that? Light the World campaign will be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. What I want to do this morning is set the table for the coming weeks. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, and only in verse 13. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 5, 13. And what we'll do is we'll read the scripture, then we'll go to the end of the verse, 13b, and go back to the beginning, 13a, to answer three questions from Jesus' seven-word sentence, you are the salt of the earth. The first one is, who is salt? Second one is, what does salt do? The third one is, where does salt belong? So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. One more time. Read it with me. Say, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that in the name of your son Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us from a sermon on the mount who salt is, what salt does, and where salt belongs this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, Amen. you may be seated. The title of the sermon is, Are You Worth Your Salt? Are You Worth Your Salt? The phrase worth your salt is from an ancient Roman practice with, that comes from paying soldiers a salary or a salarium, which is the Latin word, which comes from the Latin word salt, which means salt. And so they paid them a salary with which to buy salt. It was a salarium. So when a soldier did well in war, they were paid for salt because it was such a valu valuable commodity. That's just saying you are worth your salt, your salary, your salarium. Today it describes someone who, in a word, is faithful. It conveys someone who is deserving of respect through skill, hard work, integrity, and competence. To be worth your salt is for you to embody the virtues and values you were originally meant to represent. As Christians, we know from the creation story that men and women were made in the Imago Dei, the image of God, that we were originally meant to embody our creator and represent him to creation. And as I was praying, I, was, I believe the question that Christ has for us, Luminous Church, is are you worth 
your salt? I believe that the question Christ and culture have for the church and for Christians is, are you worth your salt? According to a December 2022 article titled, Openness to Jesus Isn't the Problem, the Church Is. We'll see that culture's answer to our question is an emphatic no. Here's what U.S. teens and adults said. The first one is, Americans like Jesus and his message, but not so much his messengers. The second one is what causes people to doubt Christianity. It says hypocrisy ranks number one for non-Christians, for other faiths and no faith. The third one is Christian view Christianity as a faith you respect. Nuns see it as judgmental. And it says this, beyond Jesus, when it comes to views of other Christian groups or entities, positive opinions wane. People of no faith are neutral or leaning negative, and for celebrity, mega, or famous representatives of the faith, opinions are decidedly negative. Among those of no faith, even Christian individuals are not viewed so favorably. Further, the data below shows why people may be reluctant to hold Christian beliefs, with the top reason today being hypocrisy of religious people. At the end of his article, David Kinneman, CEO of Barner Group Research, says the work of Christians is to embody Jesus, full of truth and grace, and reflect his image in all they say and do. The data shows they too often fall short. In summary, what American culture is saying that you're no longer good for anything and you're not worth your salt, so what they've done with church is they've thrown it out and they just completely trampled it underfoot. And this is the bad news. But how many of you are ready for some good news? Here's the good news, John Tyson says. The good news is that the church has advanced and borne beautiful fruit in far more, in cultural situations, much more complex and challenging than our own. The advancement of God's kingdom does not depend on the cultural situation in which we find ourselves, nor upon our performance and response. Rather, we are invited to follow the way of Jesus in his great redemptive work in our time. How many of you, how many of you believe that's good news? But if we're going to advance, we have to be worth our salt. But how are we going to be worth our salt if we don't know what salt, who salt is, what salt does, and where salt belongs. So let's follow Jesus to the mountain with the disciples and crowd to see what he says, not just what culture says. Number one, who is salt? Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. The gospel, according to Matthew, is the, called the gospel of the kingdom. It's an account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and the King. And his central theme is that Jesus is the sovereign King. And so as we're following Jesus to the mountain, we're in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus begins his ministry preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the King has come, and he's establishing his kingdom here on earth, which is a community of Christ's followers. And as he went, and he calls the disciples to follow him. And as he went throughout Galilee teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing, it says his fame spread throughout all Syria. Now we get to verse 25 of chapter 4. It says the crowds followed him from 
Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, from beyond the Jordan. And this is where we are in Matthew 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them the Sermon on the Mount. What the Sermon on the Mount is, is about the king teaching what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. And so who is the them Jesus is teaching? It's the disciples who are following Jesus, and it's the crowds who are just starting to follow Jesus. Biblical scholars have argued over the centuries about who Jesus is saying is the salt. Is it the disciples, or is it the crowds? Which one is it? It's, well, it's both and. So the good news is that whether you've been following Jesus or just started following Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. And if you have not yet started following Jesus and you want to know more about him and what his kingdom is like, then you fit the description of Jesus' original audience. So as we read this 2,000 years later, the Sermon on the Mount is actually a good place to start. And so as you read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as a Christ follower, the you in verse 13 is referring to you. Tell your neighbor and say, Jesus is preaching to you. He said, listen, I know what culture is saying about you. They say that you're worthless, that you're not good for anything. If you've seen Holes, I grew up on the movie Holes, and that was my favorite book. And you know, Madame Zironi says, you're no good pig ceiling, great, great, great grandfather. This is what people are saying about Christians. They say, you're no good hypocrites. You're tasteless. You're sycophants. You're not good for anything. And they want to throw you out and trample you underfoot. And honestly, some of that is justified. Some of us have lost our taste because of our hypocrisy, so we don't feel worth our salt. We're not embodying Jesus in all that we say and do. And we're always falling short, and we need restoration. That's why Jesus came. But let me tell you what Christ says about you, not just what culture. He says, you are the salt of the earth. To be salt, that as we follow Jesus, we embody him full of truth and grace, and reflect his image in all that we say or do. But we lose our taste when we lose who we're supposed to be. If we go back to Genesis in the creation story, when God made man in his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. They were made to go and be fruitful, to multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So we were supposed to reflect God's image throughout all the earth and all that we say and do. So when others see us or when we saw each other, we saw the image of God. But sin entered into the world, and we became broken images of God. So Jesus came perfectly bearing the image of God as truly God and truly man himself, so that as we put our faith and trust in him, he renews us and he restores us broken images so that as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when they look at us, they see an image of Jesus. That's what it is to be sought, but we lose our taste when we forget this. This is why it's essential to understand that we as salt are supposed to be in a salt shaker with other salts. We call that church. Why? The Sermon on the Mount is so anti-individualistic that you is actually a y'all. They just wrote this from Jerusalem, not Texas. 
It's y'all. Why? We know a grain of salt by itself doesn't actually do anything to the taste. It, need, it takes multiple grains of salt who let the Holy Spirit restore their saltiness continually. And that's why church and life groups are essential to remind you of who you are. And we of who we are. As the salt of the earth. As image bearers. It's through this. And this salt shaker we call church. The Holy Spirit restores our taste in the areas of our lives where we're not yet your follower, not yet embodying Jesus in all that we say and do, into these areas, and he gets his saline solution to bring healing into our wounds so that we can be restored in order for us to do what salt is supposed to do. So, who is salt? You are. How do you lose your taste? Because it's possible when you lose who you're supposed to be. Question, have you lost who you're supposed to be? Number two, what does salt do? The word salt is the Greek word halas. It, it appears four times in the New Testament and it has four definitions, but scholars say only two of those definitions really apply specifically to this text. And so the first one is flavor. Some commentators say salt was to add salt seasoning and flavor to the pagan culture around them. That's why Jesus is saying this. One says this, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. You know, have you ever gone to the cookout and you've tasted mashed potatoes or the yams and the meat and it's just bland, it's tasteless, and there's no seasoning, you say, hmm, it needs more salt, or it needs more seasoning. And I'm confessing my sins, this is what I used to do to my grandmother growing up, but I would just start a conversation, I would ask questions, and I would listen, I would tell stories. And as I'm listening to tell stories, my food is still there on the plate, and when I see that the trash is getting full, and I say, hey, I'm going to go get a drink. And so I go to get a drink, and I take one bite, and I turn the plate upside down. And then you do one of these numbers. You push it down, and then you act like you're doing them a service. Hey, let me take this, let, let me take this out for you. Oh, no, I got to No, it's okay. Trust me. I, this is where it belongs. It's in the trash. It's no good. That's what happens when something's tasteless. And when Jesus comes to the cookout of our city and he, he sees it and he looks at the flavors, he sees the flavors, he tastes it, he says, hmm, it needs more salt. But he's not willing to throw it away. He doesn't just turn the plate upside down and throw it away. He seasons it. You know that person who takes leftovers and they go into the kitchen and all of a sudden they start re-cooking it and they start throwing their own seasonings and make it your own and it's like this whole new meal? And the kids ask, like, hey, what is this? Oh, it's last night leftovers. Really? It, doesn't, it just tastes different. It's completely new. And that's the point. And that's what Jesus does with us to this world. In the decaying, tasteless, bland society, he seasons this earth with salt so that it has more God flavors. You know, you have these cravings. My wife, she's strange. She's not in here, but I said this first service. 
she'll just randomly say, I need something sweet. Any of you do that? I need something sweet. Or I need something salty. I'm like, man, that's how you know you, you were spoiled because I didn't have the option to choose between sweet and salty. I just saw food. It was an apple. That's all I had. And the, the world does the same thing. They want something sweet. And I'm here to tell you, listen, the, the world doesn't need anything sweet. It needs something salty. The earth is flavorless. It's lifeless. It's bland without the salt. The salt is the flavor or the taste of the kingdom of God so that when others get to come to the table and taste and see that the Lord is good, it's, hey, come here, taste this real quick. And they say, mm, no, hey, what, what does it need? No, nothing. It's perfect. Okay, do you want a plate? I'll make you one. Just go sit down. It, now salt becomes invitational. According to this definition, salt invites us to see Jesus. This is what it is. Two, salt is a preservative agent used for preserving food. It's this image of refreshing, of restoration, of preserving. The image that God is going to make all things new through the church, embodying Jesus, full of grace and truth in all that they say and do so that we can make a difference. According to this definition, salt doesn't just invite but it influences. This is Jesus' heart. John Tyson says this. His heart was that we would influence culture through redemptive participation in the context of communities and relationship. Conversely, he also warned that if we lose our saltiness, we would be good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot. Maybe this is what we're experiencing now as God's people. Tyson later defines redemptive participation as influencing people by taking, by being ourselves, being who we're supposed to be, where such creativity comes out of our community that people are drawn to it. Redemptive participation means that we do not hate the world, nor are we protesting it, but we're participating in it with a vision of the way of Jesus. So what is, if salt influences, what is influence? Mel Lorenz says this, the word influence means something that flows in and causes changes. Usually a force that is imperceptible or hidden. Influencers are people who lead by living in proximity to scores of ordinary people who are looking for some source of wisdom, discernment, power, truth, or other qualities that begin a transformative work on their lives. Just think of the effect. If massive numbers of believers woke up to their potential to exercise spiritual influence in the schools where they teach, the boardrooms where they deliberate, in the clinics where they care for people's health, the ch in the churches where they serve, in the assemblies where they legislate, in the homes where they raise their children, salt influences. Why is this so important? Because it's a part of the gospel. The gospel is not just two parts. It's not just sin and redemption. Because now we have such a low view of what God actually called us to do as the salt of the earth. Because all it's about is just, man, we're just, we're just here. We're just trying to get out of here to go to heaven one day. 
No, the salt. If we, if we understand the four-part gospel and we're going to be inviting and influential, we understand, number one, creation is that God made us in his image to reflect him in all that we say and do. And we understand, two, that the fall was that we were tempted by Satan in the garden, and therefore we sinned and were separated by God. So, three, we are in need of a redeemer. And so Jesus came through to redeem us and to restore our image, not only to just redeem us, but for this restoration. Now he wants to renew and to restore and so that his kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. That's why it's so important that we invite and we have influence. As followers of Jesus, we have that privilege to join God in the renewal of all things on earth through redemptive participation. But what do we participate in? This is a salt made in the image of God to fulfill the cultural commission. What is that? From Genesis 1.26, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. By reflecting King Jesus' image in everything we say and do so that a kingdom culture is built into our education, our medical, and our political systems, and our businesses, and arts, and sciences, and our family, this is what we're supposed to do so that God's image can be made known. It's a taste of the kingdom of God. Now, once people, once culture can taste and see the Lord, we're inviting them so that they can taste more fully through the Great Commission. This is where we have influence. Now, in our going, when we go to work, when we go to school, when we minister to our, our, our family, now we're influencing them, influencing them by making disciples. We're teaching them what it looks like to embody Jesus and reflect his image in all that they say and do and to live under his kingship. So when, not if, we come into direct contact with the meat of culture, assault, we can do more than just preserve and restrain evil, and, just, and we can do more than just play defense. We're actually on the offensive. So my question is, are you worth your salt? Are you giving people an inviting taste of the kingdom? Or are you tasteless, and that when people interact with you, they say, you know what, that just wasn't a good experience. I'm just going to turn it upside down. They're just like every other Christian. They're just hypocrites. Are you influencing them through the Cultural Commission or the Great Commission? Or are they influencing you? And when you fall, because they're watching, and say, see, I knew it. That gospel thing's not real. The gospel can't transform. Look at them. Still getting drunk. Still sleeping around. Which is it? What does salt do? It invites. It influences. How do we lose our taste when we lose what we're supposed to do? And why we're supposed to do it? You know who salt is and what salt does? Now where does salt belong? You are the salt of the earth. Of means belonging to or its origins in. You know, since I became a Christian for the past seven years, I remember God and his sovereignty seasoning us. You know, he, in January 2018, after I graduated, he seasoned us to Abilene after I said I would never go back. And he seasoned us there to start a campus ministry at McMurray University. And that's where we met Elijah. He was a basketball player at McMurray. 
And I just used the SALT method. We started a conversation. We asked questions. We listened. And then we told the story. Then we started going through the one-to-one in the purple book. He started getting discipled. And when I met him, I didn't know what to do with him. Because at the time, his mother was deported. His father was just sentenced to prison for 30-plus years. And, for, and his whole family was just decaying. And it was, it was just being corrupted. But all I could do as salt was just continue to invite and influence and so that God could renew him while at the same time his family was decaying and he didn't know what to do. And I said, man, I don't know what to do with you either. Let's just pray. I was 23, 24. We were there for two years. After that, God seasoned us to Midland. We must have sinned. We went to the desert, you know, like the children of Israel, and it just seemed like forever. But, you know, God brought us back to the promised land of San Antonio. Praise God. After two years. And we found here that there was a table set for us by God. Aisa, when she was here last year, she was praying about becoming kids director. And she didn't want to do it. But what did God do? He shook her. He seasoned her into kids ministry. Some of you are like, man, please, God, don't ever shake me into kids ministry. Don't shake me into serving in kids. I can't do it. But God seasoned us here in San Antonio, and we started to love it. We started to want to build, help build this church, help build this campus ministry. So we started praying for a home here, five or ten miles from campus. Last week, God provided a home for us seven miles from campus. Why? Because he seasoned us here. This is where we belong. And I'll just say this, church, God in his sovereignty has seasoned you where you are at. You know, when you move as much as I have, you lose hair. You know, I'm 29. I promise you I'm 29. But in my short slash long 29 years of life, you know what I've never seen? I've never seen salt lift up off the table and begin to season my food. And if you've seen that, then, man, you got some spiritual problems in your house. We need to go pray for you. I'm going to call Pastor Austin. I've just never seen it. No, it takes a deliberate effort and conscious action to pick up the salt and to season the food exactly where you want it. This is the sovereign hand of God. This is what scripture says. He says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries or plates of their dwelling places. There is a plate that God, a specific plate that he seasons you into and onto. This is the sovereign hand of God. And even though I haven't seen salt lift up and get up off the table and season my food, you know what I have seen? I have seen salt get knocked over and it spills onto the table. And some of you feel like, man, you're not where you're supposed to be. I'm just kind of on the table. God, where am I supposed to be? What major am I supposed to go, uh, go into? What business or company am I supposed to work for? Am I supposed to be a stay-at-home mom? Am I supposed to go to work? Which is it? Where am I supposed to be? I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to do, but where and when? But again, consider the graceful hand of God that when we're on the table, he doesn't just... Scrape us off the table and onto the floor and let us be trampled underfoot. Oh, he says, look, 
you've lost your way. Come into my hand. And when he, what he does from there, he begins to season you exactly where you're supposed to be. That is the sovereign hand of God. Others of you feel like, man, I might have missed my time. You're waiting on something. You're like, man, I should be here by now or I shouldn't be there. When is this going to happen? When's that promise going to happen? And I'll just say this again. Consider the sovereign, graceful hand of God. Some cook season before. Some cook season during the meal or during the process of cooking it. Some season after. This is what God does. The cook gets to choose when to season. The salt does not get to choose when or where it wants to go. And so by the grace of God, who decided that you are the salt of San Antonio, you are the salt of Boney, of Chavano Park, you are the salt of Northwest San Antonio, you are the salt of UTSA. You are the salt of your family. You are the salt of your campus. You are the salt in your career. Don't lose where you're supposed to be. A lot of us are trying to move the salt where and when we want it to be rather than when and where the Lord wants us to be. And so we're just not effective. We're not inviting nor are we influencing nor are we really embodying Jesus and all that we say or do because we're so focused on where we're supposed to be rather than trusting God. So where does salt belong? The earth for you specifically, San Antonio, and so on. How do you lose your taste when you lose where you're supposed to be? So as we conclude, my question again I ask is, are you worth your salt? You know who salt is, you are. You know what salt does, it invites, it influences. You know where salt belongs, here. But sometimes we lose our taste. We lose who we're supposed to be. We lose what we're supposed to do. We lose where we're supposed to do it. You know, this week I was losing my taste and I was like, man, I, know, I thought I was supposed to be here at UTSA, it's a hard culture. And I'm not seeing what I want to see. And I'm in a one-to-one -one meeting with a UTSA basketball player. And I was sharing Elijah's testimony with him. And he just couldn't believe it. But during this meeting, Elijah happened to text me. And I said, listen, you got to hear it from him. So I FaceTimed him. And I introduced him. And Elijah started a conversation with him. He asked questions. He listened. Then he told the story about his testimony. And he's just like, man. That's crazy. Then he says, well, I got so much to tell you. I know we haven't talked in a year, but I have so much to tell you. And Isaiah, you, you should listen to this too. He said, then I just want to thank you for meeting with me at 5 a.m. at Starbucks, going through the one-to-one, -one, going through the purple book, teaching me how to use the salt method, and praying for my family for the past five years. And you know what Elijah said? He says, last year, in August. He said, I was believing for seven of my family members to be saved. He said, when I, I had a phone call with my mother, 
who was deported, she was literally thrown out of our country. And she said, I got to lead her to Christ on the phone. He says two weeks later, he was worshiping on, th- on a Thursday morning at 9 a.m. in Florida, and the Lord encountered him. He had a vision of his dad, and he was praying. He was just praying for him. He gets a call from his dad, who's out of breath. He says, Elijah, you never believe what just happened. He said, I just had a vision. The Lord appeared to me in my prison cell at 8 a.m., At the exact same time, here in Texas, at the exact same time, Elijah had this vision. And he said, I gave my life to Jesus. A man whose society, even I, if I'm truthful, thought that was no longer good for anything, God completely redeemed him. And so he starts reading the gospel. He starts reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he hears these two inmates, a a Buddhist and a Muslim. And he hears them arguing about their faith. And he, he gets this boldness, and he starts preaching the gospel, and they both get saved. After they get saved, and I said the next week, I had another phone call, and I was on the phone with my sister, and I had a chance to tell her the story and the gospel, what God was doing to mom and dad, and she said, you know, I want to give my life to Jesus, too. During Christmas break, this is all within four months, Elijah goes home to Abilene with his brother, who was a gang member. They go to see his dad in prison, and and now all of a sudden his dad starts the conversation. He starts asking him questions, listening to see what his brother would say. He tells the story. His brother gets saved. After that, his niece, Elijah's niece, gets saved. Elijah is worth his salt. He just kept inviting, giving them a taste over the past five years. Kept influencing so that when God came, redeemed them, now he's completely renewed this family. And as I was listening to the story, I began to be restored. I'm like, you know what? This is exactly why I do what I do. When I reach a student, I reach a family. I preach that all the time, but I lost sight of that. And Elijah's telling me this, and this basketball player, he's like, man, can you just pray for me? Now he's influencing him. He's inviting him. He got a taste of the kingdom of God, and now he wanted more, and he wanted to be influenced. He said, man, I need this. What would happen if you were worth your salt as a Christian on your campus, in your community, in your family? If you were to invite and influence as you embody Jesus and reflect him in all that you say and do, And a practical way for us to do this, to be the salt of the earth, is in our speech, to use the salt method. It'll be on the screen. We simply start a conversation. We ask questions. We listen. And we believe God and the Holy Spirit for an opportunity to tell the story. There's a lot of stories out there, but there's only one story that really matters, and that's the gospel. Of what Jesus did, he came, he lived a perfect life, sinless life. He died a sinner's death on our behalf, so as we put our faith and trust in him, he renews us, he saves us, he, he restores us. This is the story that we are to tell and how it actually influences us to be like him.
As we close, I just want everyone to bow their heads, every eye closed, every head bowed. I believe that Jesus wants us to be salt here in the city in our speech, that salt will be exhibited as truth and grace in our speech. So as you're praying, I want you to ask God. We'll do a listening prayer. Who's the person that you're supposed to salt? Who are you supposed to salt? Who are you supposed to season? As you're listening, write down their names. And as you write a name, pray for, begin to pray for them. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've called us to be the salt of San Antonio. Lord, you've called us to be who you've called us to be. You've called us to invite and to have influence. And you've called us to do it here, and you've called us to do it in the context of our relationships. So Lord, I pray that as we're listening, that you would give us names, that we just begin to pray for those names. And we ask that they would taste and see that the Lord is good through us as we embody Jesus full of truth and grace in all that we say and do, and that you would give us an opportunity to start a conversation with them. Give us an opportunity not just to start a conversation for conversation's sake, but to tell the story that they too might be redeemed and renewed so that they too can be called the salt of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>